0: Yeah, it's just winging it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we are the Uncultured Saints. I am Pastor Goodman and joining me is Pastor Lietzow. Uh Today, we are actually gonna get started and talk about uh, the first article uh, that, that shows up in our formula of conquering, sin. Pastor Lietzow, is original sin actually sin? Why does it matter? Well, I think we're going to get into that in
1: the next. I mean, if you just want me to answer right now, and then we can be done. Um, you know, I can just I can give you that answer, but I think we're going to get into it a little bit. Uh, but if, no, it doesn't. Shortest does matter. podcast ever. Yeah, and people might actually appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but no, it does. It does absolutely matter. And the reason for it is, if we don't have the proper understanding of original sin. We will end up losing Jesus, and that sounds weird. And perhaps uh, somebody might actually say it—it's it, taken it a step too far. But I don't think it is, and I—and I think the—the the actual uh, a formula of concord says that as well. Uh, if we lose original sin, then we lose the understanding of who Jesus is, who he—who uh, he is on the cross, what he's done for. For us, what he's accomplished, what he gives to us. If we lose all of that, uh, then it's pointless. Uh, Absolutely. Why are we even even, uh, dealing with this subject? Why are we wasting our time here? Why do we come to church on Sunday? If if it's not about Jesus, then I, I can find much better things to do with my time.
0: Right. And I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions about sin, too, is that the church only loves to talk about sin to make you feel bad. The church only wants to talk about sin to pick a few of them and say, these people aren't real Christians, but but we are. When we insist on talking about sin it's so that we can find it on the cross it's so that we can call the bad things what they are and not have to pretend everything's fine when it isn't it's so that we can find jesus for even our enemies if we can call this all sin we can call this all died for we can call this all forgiven and then we can find peace in christ for all of these things
1: i yeah I, and i think that i think the issue is within the church a lot of a lot of times, church with quotation marks, I suppose, a lot of times we do hear the law, but we only hear it in that, that sense of uh, we're trying to figure out how to be better people. And we're trying to figure out how to, to curb this thing or stop that thing or be a better neighbor or be a better Christian or fill in the blank with all of these things. And so that way we can absolutely point to our neighbor and say, see, I am better than you. See, I have accomplished this. You are worse because of X, Y, and Z. We may not actually do that out loud, but we certainly do that in our minds. And <clears throat> if if that's the, the sole purpose of looking at the law, then, yeah, we're going to be lost with that too. But and that's with- a very
0: shallow version of the law too. I, I mean that's not the full law because the full law condemns everyone for for the, the kind of law that you hear then that, that just sort of tries to improve – society or or improve me so that I can say that why aren't you as good as me I mean that's like that's like the high jump in high school track where everybody just grabs hold of the bar and lowers it to something that they can actually do so that they say they did it or maybe that was just me because I was lazy but I'm not going to put more energy into this thing than I have to And, and if I can just lower the bar so that it it's not a problem for me to get over it perfect so that that kind of shallow law that i'm going to set in an arbitrary level where i can succeed but you can't well in the right light that that's fantastic for making me feel good about myself which is not the purpose of the law the law is supposed to kill you if it didn't kill you it's not really the law so When we grab hold of original sin, especially against those who would peddle such a a shallow law, there is the tendency to push really hard on the fact that we are all sinners and and really almost even fall off the other side of the horse and maybe even go a little bit too far. This is a little bit about what we talked about last time, the concept that there's a distinction between needing to win an argument for yourself or trying to help your neighbor. When when we are so insistent that we win the argument, sometimes we can push just a little bit too far and veer us away from the truth. And so in the first article, uh, Original Sin and the Formula of Conquer, this is exactly what happened. There was actually a good guy who, against the notion that Original Sin wasn't that big a deal, pushed too hard. And all of a sudden, we, we recognize that theology uh, done by sinners is sort of like a drunk guy trying to get on a horse. I mean, he's really enthusiastic about it. He knows he's going to go for a pony ride. And so he hops up there as hard as he can, and he falls right over the other side. And then he gets up, and he dusts himself off, and he tries it again from the other side, and he falls right back over. That, That true theology is being normed by the word of God and its truth. And so we have to be careful to do something that's really difficult for us. We have to be quiet where scripture is quiet. We have to stop talking when scripture doesn't. And so when we when we deal with the concept of original sin, um, as it's laid out for us, um, there were two sides of this argument. Uh, to quote the, uh, the formula of Concord, and I'm going from the reader's edition of our book of Concord, which is one of the most accessible for especially um, the lay people and, and high school kids. Um, the formula of Concord starts this way. One side argued this, Through Adam's fall, mankind's nature, substance, and essence are corrupt. And if I want to argue against the Baptist who says, well, Christianity is just being good, that sounds awesome. Because it's trying so hard to say, how can you just be good? You're dead in sin. It doesn't sound bad if you're trying to prove sin, except you jumped off the other side of the horse because you've gone so far then as to say the essence is sinful. A person's body or soul, which even now, since the fall, are and remain God's creation. That's what we have to hold on to. And if we push too hard on this idea of original sin, we can almost lose sight of the fact that didn't didn't God make you? If you are God's creation, what would it mean that the entirety of you is sinful? That 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 must mean god made sin that must mean that this is how it's supposed to be it seems like a really small distinction are you sinful or are you corrupted by sin but all of these things are connected uh, theology isn't jenga pieces where you've got the big tower blocks and if you don't like one you just take it out and you can rearrange it stick it back on top everything here is connected and so what we say here connects to other things there. If you pull out a block here, it will tip the tower. It might not right away and and real obviously, but it's almost more like, well, a thread to a sweater. If you just keep tugging on this thing, you are gonna unravel it. Don't ever quote Weezer again. But I feel safe in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) If we can't quote the (laughs) hymnist, what are we doing here, Pastor? Uh, So when we talk about Sin. We, we recognize that there is something that has to be said about it, but we also have to be careful not to go too far. Well, okay, well, the,
1: let's actually get into that then. So, what's the big deal? What in the world is, is the big deal about dividing between or, or having a, a, an actual difference between saying uh, my nature is uh, sinful or my nature is corrupted? by original
0: right sin. so because this seems like a really puny detail right like it doesn't even seem like it's that big of deal yeah. so maybe instead of just jumping right into the finality of it we can do like the formula of conquer does and it starts simpler all right so before we go making these grand theses or or you know epic tweets let's lay out what we do believe so first um is original sin actually sin yes how do you know that well, Scripture
1: makes it pretty clear to us uh, that it—that it is original sin. Psalm fifty-one. Right, we've got David uh, speaking in Psalm fifty-one about how, in sin, uh, his mother conceived him. Uh, now, he's not talking about uh, the act of conception was sinful in some way or fashion. Uh, what he's doing is—is is after the the prophet Nathan came and told him that uh, everything he's been doing for the last uh, couple months or couple years in regards to Bathsheba and Uriah and all of this,
0: that all of that sort of stuff was sinful. He was not above the law. Right, and where does it go with Bathsheba too? Because this, I mean, this is your proof text, like in real life for our babies born sinful. What happened to David and Bathsheba's child?
1: Well, and that's where we have to get to as well not only does does david in psalm 51 where he writes this uh, beautiful heartbreaking uh, psalm about how uh, sinful uh, he is and broken he uh, he is uh, but he also does say that in sin his mother conceived him. from the very conception from the the moment of conception uh, there was this corruption of his sinful flesh and we also see that play out in a very practical way, but we, we also understand that Scripture says this as well, right? The wages of sin is death. Well, David and Bathsheba's baby died. Right. That was that was part of this, part of this uh, punishment that God had for David, uh, due to due to his uh, his sinfulness there. Uh, and i don't want to get down that road that that god
0: is going around murdering babies or anything like that that's no, that, that's not the point god of it god doesn't murder babies but sin breaks stuff and this is actually how we we see it in reality when we want to have a discussion with somebody over whether or not a cute baby is still a sinful baby we we just ask a really painful question because we know sin breaks stuff so can babies die? And, and everybody calls that a bad thing. The Lord himself calls it a bad thing. Um, when when Herod slaughters the innocents, uh, the Lord laments over his his wretchedness for, for doing this thing. So we just ask, is it a good thing or a bad thing that babies can die? It's terrible. They're born sinful, and that sin that, that brings with it death, something has to speak to that. Something has to fix that. Something has to undo that. Yeah. Because apart from that help, we are we are lost. Yeah,
1: and that's and that's where you might get with your uh, having this discussion with your your Baptist friend because the, they'll bring up the the absolute rational notion that you you ha- and you'll have to agree with it as well. Uh, how can you say that an infant is sinful? Uh, look, he's not doing anything. He can't cognitively uh, uh, do anything sinful. Uh, all he does is he eats and he sleeps and he poops. That's it. How, how
0: is any of that sinful? Um, right. It's a question over what the concept of sin is, though. Exactly. And so this is one of those places where we would differ, whereas they want to argue that sin is only an action. And, I mean, I guess you could say they're, they're really selfish. Like, they keep waking me up in the middle of the night and won't, you know, won't give me any peace and quiet. But, really, it, it's deeper than that. Sin is hereditary. It, it comes in this thing that makes us mortal, we will die, all yeah. of us. We were given that from from our parents. This original sin, according to the Book of Concord, is the chief sin, which is a root and foundation of all actual sins. In other words, um, well, a sinner's going to sin. The, the actual sins play themselves out because of the corrupted nature, the the inward desire will eventually play itself out. When the scriptures talk about sin, when our confessions grab hold of it, they're harping on words like infected and corrupted, especially in our confessions that help us see the scripture. This isn't who you are. This is, this is disease talk. This is, this is cancer talk. This is like saying, well, I might, I might have lung cancer, but that doesn't mean I am cancer. That being said, that lung cancer I have that, that has infected me, that has corrupted me from, from the very cellular level, something has to be done for that. And, and it will play itself out with symptoms. I will cough, I will hack, I will cough up blood. But there's something more profoundly wrong that cough syrup isn't going to fix. Something has to be done to the inward heart and when we talk about then sin as an infection, as a corruption, we can recognize then it goes so deep that it's not a question of simply saying behave yourself because you can't and it's also not simply a question of which parts of you can you cut out because they are so commingled that the cancer has spread so thoroughly that death will come for all lest Christ give his life that we would live It lets us talk about sin in a way that we find all of ourselves in desperate need of a Savior in Christ our Lord.
1: And that's that's where it ends up. With the proper understanding of of original sin, we we do understand then that everyone needs a Savior, that everyone is in need of salvation, even that little baby there. Uh, If the little baby uh, was uh, sinless and had no guilt uh, or anything connected to him, uh, if his flesh wasn't uh, corrupted by sin and if that corruption wasn't true sin, then the argument, the logical argument would be then that baby at that point doesn't need a savior. Then, then you get to the, the, the whole understanding of uh, the uh, age of recognition, right? and I'm sure we've all heard this before in in Baptist circles or non-denominational circles, that there's a a certain age in which we've we've finally gotten to the point where the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think finally become sin because we're smart enough or cognitive enough or
0: fill-in-the-blank enough. Right, or even just to take it back, um, even just to take it back a little bit, to the baby, I don't want it to seem like we're just sort of harping on a baby as a sinner so that he can grow up with self-esteem problems. We're, we're talking about the most important issue here, that is, well, we want that child to live. It's what you opened the podcast with, that if we lose the concept of sin, we lose Christ our Savior. When, when we talk about this, then it's, it's so important that we want to make clear that, that we are born sinful, that again, we, we just don't want to push too far. Because if we say that that baby is sin, what do you then have to say about God who made that baby? And this is the thing that we get accused of. Why would God kill that baby? God didn't want to kill that baby. God didn't want to see that baby die. God is not a creator, author, or cause of sin. So say or death. confession. So say the word of God. Or death. Death came into the world through Adam. And when we hold this distinction, um, it lets us talk about, well, how our society would talk about our, our propensities, how our society would talk about our, our inward desires. And one of the big places this plays itself out is is homosexuality. There's a big argument over whether or not people are actually born gay. And there are certain kinds of Christian denominations that insist that couldn't be so because they don't recognize original sin. They don't recognize that, that there could be something inwardly corrupted that might twist our desires inward and away from that which god would call pure and holy and so they say no this is only an outward choice um and we don't want to make god the person who made somebody gay which is exactly the argument that um that that the lgbtq crowd would would make that because i was born this way it must be natural it must be good well no god didn't God didn't create sin. I'm not even going to argue whether or not you were born that way, because I recognize that we are all born sinful, and I recognize that my pet sins might not necessarily be your pet sins, Pastor Leto, but at the same time, that doesn't make them okay. Just because I was created of my mother and father through God's will, that, that doesn't mean he wanted me to be a sinner. And I know that because he doesn't want me to die. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn from their way and live. He wants none dead. And he also wants none to be sinful. Uh, When we talk about this whole thing, we don't want to give anybody an excuse to sin. Uh, And so we we teamed up maybe with everybody else who seemed like uh, they were on our side. We teamed up with Baptists who stand for our morality. And we maybe pushed too far off the other side of the course. And we said, this is a choice. The outward act, fine, but what about the inward lust? Did God give you that inward lust? No, he's not the author or cause of sin. Um, Some people are born with genetic diseases. God didn't will that. The thing is that person is more than their genetic disease some people are born with down syndrome but they are more than how many chromosomes they have they are a creature of god they are shaped uh, by his world by his will they are they are life with with a redeemed soul and so to reduce somebody to um, a, a disease is the very same as reducing somebody to a desire. See, you are more than your lust, be it gay or straight. Whether or not you were born that way, to identify as as gay more than before anything else, it, it says that your desire is the foundational piece of your identity. Ours goes deeper than that. We, our foundational identity is creatures of God. Our our foundational identity, even more, is baptized. We are the redeemed. And so, yes, I have within me a corruption of my flesh. I have within me pet sins that I love. I have within me uh, sins that I do so often that, yeah, if you knew me too well, you might recognize me by them. But our Lord doesn't see us by those sins. He sees us by the blood shed upon the cross for us. He sees us washed clean in that water, in in the waters of our baptism, so that before anything else, he would say, You are not sin. You are what I made you. And if you ruin that, or if somebody else ruined that for you, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to shed my blood for you and wash you clean to get you back to that which I have made you to be.
1: I, yes. (laughs) <laughs> you just said a lot right there, um, and uh, I, I think I followed everything, but uh, just just to make sure, let's, let's kind of go through it a, a okay. little bit. We've got these real-life issues right in front of us. So, so Pastor Goodman, uh, you, you took uh, original sin, where if you're talking to your, your, your neighbor uh, and you bring up original sin, They're probably, or there might be a good chance that they have no idea what you're actually talking about. Original sin, what do you mean? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Then you bring in a real-life situation where this, okay, let's discuss. Can people be born gay? What does that mean? Uh, When when we're making discussions or or conversations or arguments based upon this point, where are we going to go with it? Uh, So... You're talking high schoolers out there, college kids out there, uh, parents out there. You're, you're talking with your kid, with your neighbor, with your friend about this, and the situation comes up. How do we address this, this understanding of born gay, not born gay, uh, everything's a choice, in the light of uh, original sin and the proper
0: understanding of it? Right. And that's that's what we're jumping towards. If, if you're using the idea that you were born sinful as an excuse that, that it must be okay, you've skipped over Jesus. If you're using the idea that, that because you were born this way, it must be the way it's supposed to be, you're saying, I don't need Jesus for this. And that's... you can be born that way, but people are born with genetic diseases and people are born into poverty and none of these things are how it's supposed to be. So even if it were true that you were born that way, and and I don't really have a problem with that statement, my concern is, is it a good thing or a bad thing that it's this way? Because original sin, uh, past the theological term, just ask, is this the way it's supposed to be?
1: Really? It really comes down to that point that, that the situation in front of us uh, doesn't need to be rectified. And I'm not saying rectified by things that we do or, or choices that we make to, to stop doing X, Y, and Z. I'm saying uh, rectified by somebody outside of us, Jesus and his cross, taking care of this situation.
0: Right, and that's the part that actually shapes the whole discussion, because well, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. It's the same way with the sin that lets me recognize just how terrible things are, our confessions would say, reason doesn't know and understand what this hereditary evil is. It must be learned and believed from a revelation of scripture. So when we talk then about is this a good thing or a bad thing, is this the way it's supposed to be, this is where the scriptures get in. Because we can recognize in any culture and in, in just about any creed there are certain moral truths that, that have that have held true the book of romans says the shadow of the law is written in all men's hearts not the full law but the shadow of the law and so most people will say it's probably bad to kick puppies it's probably bad to take things that aren't yours it's maybe don't stab people um we'll come up with great justifications for when we have to we're really really good at dehumanizing people so that we can do these things to them without feeling bad about it but the shadow of the law is written in all men's hearts only through the scriptures can we start to see the full depth of the law that it turns thou shalt not murder from don't stab people you don't like to we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body but help him support him in every physical need when we have then the the full law of God on our mind we 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 see something more and in the same way um when we start to see just how damaging sin is just what right and wrong is again we we turn to God's word for the the idea of what is normal this was our, our first episode that we are normed by the scriptures. So this really comes down to who's smarter? You or God. Me. Like it's a really simple question that <laughs> old Adam already has an answer to, Pastor Leeds out. Who's smarter? You or God? I, I mean, and it's it's a silly question, but here's the thing. If you actually believe that God is smarter than you, well then your reason takes second place to the Holy Scriptures. Simply because You're not God. If you are smarter than God, uh, you need a better God, because your God is just not all that impressive to me. I mean, you can't even work the complicated settings on your washing machine. How do you know more than God himself? If God does know more than you, though, and God does say, look, um, this is a dangerous thing, and I say, I don't see how it's dangerous. I'm going to trust God especially then when it comes to the Sixth Commandment, um, the the adultery commandment, because this is one of those places where, at least today, we've developed a real blind spot. See, I mean, you don't need to be a Christian to to recognize that you would rather grow up in a household where the parents are nice to the kids and the kids are nice to the parents and not everybody's fighting. You would recognize that you want to live in the part of town where you're not worried about getting beaten or or stabbed or murdered or or getting your house broken into, that your things would be taken. We can find the fourth, the fifth, the seventh commandment. We recognize, even um, among... The, the pagans the atheists the agnostics i want to go to the high school where people don't gossip about me and even even the buddhists would say look you probably don't want to spend all day on amazon coveting things we have in the entire second table of the law as a society said yeah i can see how these things are harmful but when it comes to the sixth commandment when it comes to um when, when it comes to sex we've We've got a blind spot because we have come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter. And, well, maybe the God who is right about the fourth commandment, the fifth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth might have something to say about the six. Who is smarter, you or God? Yeah, he probably does.
1: I don't know. That's just a guess. But, <clears throat> no, I think—and and we could get into that, too, and maybe—I I don't even know where we're going to go uh, next next week in regards to this, but— I mean, all of, all of this is, is, is very pertinent for us to, to understand and, and grasp onto. I think, and again, I, I keep coming back to the whole issue of we have to have a proper understanding of original sin and being able to speak to my neighbor across the table uh, when we're, we're talking about uh, whatever the case may be. If we're talking about homosexuality or we're talking about transgenderism or we're talking about uh, uh, just the, the, the little baby. Uh, that that's there that died we have to have this proper understanding of original sin because if we don't then we're doing something with sin Uh, we're either making it uh, less deadly than it than it really is or we're, we're bringing some other savior into it so Ooh, I like that. So we're not having Jesus there as the Savior to deal with that sin, but something else does. Inevitably, it's just going to be the law, or it's going to be my fulfillment of the law, or it's going to be the fact that the law is not really there, or that the law can't condemn this because of whatever the case may be. That's where our natural sinful flesh actually likes to go. Uh, That's where uh, we inevitably will always go. That's where all people who see Scripture incorrectly— uh, go where uh, to a, a different savior to deal with these issues. Now they might not actually say the word savior they're not going to call the law the savior they're not going to call uh, them being able to fulfill the law uh, as their own savior They're not going to use those words but that's exactly what it, it means. So if we don't understand of original sin if we don't understand our complete and utter, corrupted nature to the point that we're dead in our sin and dead in our trespasses uh dead as uh, as infants dead as uh, the moment of conception if we don't have that proper understanding then jesus is weakened something else is a savior and we can then deal with sin kind of however we want to not just original sin but the actual sins that play out as well because the actual sins come out of this original sin well if original sin isn't sin if it doesn't have to be dealt with by a savior well then why do actual sins have to be dealt with by a savior why do we have to deal with anything with a savior why can't jesus just be that guy who loves everybody uh, and is cool with whatever you do i mean you just you do you i'll do me well, i will be fine.
0: Right, which is exactly where our confessions would say. Original sin is a complete absence or lack of the created state of hereditary righteousness in paradise. So when we ask, what is original sin? We can say it's everything that God didn't make us to be. See, we were created in God's image. We were at one point how we're supposed to be. But something has changed.
1: So the image of so what you're saying, uh, Pastor, is the image of God, the true image of God, uh, is Adam and Eve. It's yeah. The, the perfection in the garden.
0: The, before the, the fall.
1: Before the fall, right? The perfection in the garden before the fall, uh, where there was no shame. Uh, uh, they were able to walk around in their nakedness. There was no shame in that whatsoever. There well, was. they're married. No, there was. Yeah. There was. There was no fear. Uh, or or uh, terrified fear, let's, let's put it that way, of, uh, of a God who is going to uh, kill them or demolish them because of sin, because there was no sin. So they were able to walk with God in the cool of the day, speak with him in ways that uh, you and I have never been able to. Um, this was that image of God, right? Am I getting that right? Right. So
0: what's, what are the consequences of the fall then?
1: Well, let's just take that then. I mean, and, and let's just take it with, with Scripture. What are the consequences of the fall? And immediately, uh, immediately there's this understanding of, of shame. Sin has automatically brought shame upon them in mm-hmm. such a way that the first thing that, that we hear about in Genesis after the, uh, the fall, after they take a, a bite of that fruit, uh, is that they understand their nakedness. They have where it's Something that should have never brought any shame whatsoever uh, has now brought them shame. They have to clothe and cover themselves because their, their nature is so corrupted by sin it, immediately, instantaneously, uh, that there's this, this overwhelming shame uh, that has to be taken care of.
0: And well, their marriage t- got ruined right there. I mean, really, they were married and they were content before, and then sin came along where Adam didn't take care of his wife. And all of a sudden that changed, that had consequences, that touched and broke other parts of their marriage so that it's not that nudity is a shameful thing inside of marriage, it's that when you're at war with somebody, I mean, do you wanna be naked while you're having a big fight with your wife? Um, If things are already broken, then all of a sudden more shame compounds on top of it. And so from this, that which God made pure and good, sin is breaking.
1: Well, and, and that's, I think that's where I was going with it. The, yeah. the, the nakedness isn't so much the shamefulness in and of itself. I mean, why would it be shameful if, if you're just thinking about it from a, a pure— uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You're going to have to cut this out. <clears throat> um, if you're just looking at it from a, f- a pure philosophical understanding, nakedness should in no way, shape, or form bring shame. And yet that's the first thing that happens. So it's not the nakedness itself, it's the fact that their, their their flesh has been completely corrupted by this disease of sin that has brought shame upon them as well. And what is their initial thing that they want to do and know that they need to do is they they try to get another savior. It's themselves. They're covering themselves up with, with fig leaves. They go to themselves, they don't go to God.
0: Uh, and they try to cover their own uh, their
1: own shame.
0: You're talking about a first commandment issue too, right? You're talking Absolutely. about the ability to, to fear, love, and trust in him above all things because, well, when Adam and Eve try and fix the problem on their own, they're not looking to God to fix it. That's a first commandment issue, and that was passed on down to us. So when we talk about the image of God, well, that's the thing God created us in. We do absolutely still bear that unique dignity that sets us apart from anything else in the rest of creation. God made us the pinnacle, and sin has not undone that. Sin cannot undo that which God has called good. It can corrupt it, it can pervert it, it can twist it in on itself. But in all those things, there's where our Lord is working to restore, to, to slay that sin and raise us up pure and holy. Um that is the only way that things can be set aright, and not just spiritually with the inward heart, but physically too, I mean our body that have been corrupted by sin while the wages of sin being death We have to die, but the free gift of God is life everlasting in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we who are dead in sin will be made alive in Christ who has conquered death. There we turn to our baptism, and we can actually start to talk about who we are in Christ. Because if you want to see the image of God, it's easy to look to Adam and Eve before the fall. But I can find it in you, pastor, simply by calling you a baptized child of God. There you bear the image of God. You are wearing white robes washed clean in his blood blood. That is how he would paint you. That is how he would look at you. And so that is the image of God. So when we talk about
1: the image of God, I guess we're talking about something that's unknown. It has to be unknown, at least in a full and complete way for every single person since the fall. So maybe it's actually kind of difficult and we'll get into some muddy waters when we're actually talking about the image of God. And it might be hard to grasp onto some of this. Maybe, hopefully, you can Stay with me here. Maybe this will make sense. But when we talk about the image of God that man had, and now here I'm talking about the pinnacle of creation, humanity, that man had before the fall, you're talking about the full and complete knowledge of God, knowing God fully and completely. This Adam and Eve had before sin entered into this world, into them, and shattered everything. So this image of God is the knowledge of God. God made man Adam and Eve the pinnacle humanity in his image it was not as if he poured something into them and perhaps this isn't the best analogy but maybe it would do well if we think of it in this way God made man in his image not of his image so the image of God was not part of man's substance and so then we might want to think about it as a ball of clay in which God places his hand into. The clay now bears the image of God. It is his hand, nothing else. It can't be the image of the devil or the image of Adam or anything else. So he places his image on or he creates in his image. In that way then he also imprints, I guess we could say, his image upon creation, but only by creating man in his image. He caps everything off and he says it is not just good, but it is very good, because his image is now on all of creation through that first Adam. He didn't create the rocks in his image, or the ocean, or the monkeys, but man, and man alone. So then, I, if we're using that same analogy, when Adam and Eve sinned, that piece of clay which once bore the image of God, it's now balled up once again. It bears nothing of the image that was there before. The clay's the same. Adam and Eve are of the same substance, but the image of God is gone. And so, yes, mankind has lost the image of God. Now, of course, we should still say something along the lines that mankind is made different than the rest of creation. Mankind still holds a specific dignity above everything else, because in perfection, mankind should, in fact, bear the image of God. Man was created to bear the image of God, was created in his image. That's why it's easy and correct for us to say that it's much worse to kill a human than it is to kill the spider that you might find on your bathroom wall. But this actually even means something, too. God redeems all of creation. We have that promise, and we have it fully recognized on the last day, but he does so through the redemption of mankind. So since the fall all of creation has lost the image of god because that pinnacle of creation mankind has lost the very image of god it's not until christ takes on human flesh bearing the perfect image of god in himself that the image of god is brought once again to mankind to creation so it's the second adam the last adam the new adam it's jesus who comes to save and redeem, that bears the image of God. Now, if we're going to have that image once again, we have to receive it from Jesus, for he's the one who has it. And it only happens in faith, received in his gifts, like baptism, in which God once again places his name, or maybe we can even say his image, upon us. That's why Paul says that we're buried into the death and resurrection of Jesus in baptism. So now going back to what image means then, that knowledge of God, one can't have the image of God unless he has the knowledge of God. And that doesn't just mean the knowledge of some ambiguous creator God out there, but it means the knowledge of Jesus. If we want to know God, we have to know Jesus as Savior. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, if we look at that, I'm reading from the ESV here. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making perfection for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's why the, the proper understanding of original sin is so important for us. We, we received from Adam what he lost from the fall. We are conceived in sin, which means we're that ball of clay that knows nothing of the image of God. But Christ has come. That new Adam has come. And the Holy Spirit works in me faith so that I might receive Jesus and his redemption and salvation of the cross. Now that I've been baptized, I have the image of God. Yet I'm still a sinner, of course. We, I mean, goodness, we all know that. And that means, I guess at risk of saying this a little bit sloppily, I don't have it in full. But I will. I'll have it in full once my old Adam is forever done away with on that last day of the resurrection of the dead does that make does that make sense uh, you you did make a distinction uh between when you're looking at me now you can see me as a baptized child of god you can see me uh, uh as uh, as as with the righteousness of christ um which then means that before that baptism you wouldn't be able to see me with that so there's something has changed uh, is it, is it fair to say that that before Christ, before the working of the Holy Spirit in our baptism, when we're buried into the death of Christ and raised to new life in his resurrection, how, how do we speak to that image then? Because that, that baptismal restoration is this restoring. Maybe I'm saying it a little bit incorrectly, but it is this restoring of this image of God in Christ and for Christ's sake. So how do we speak to To the image of God that we have, don't have, been diminished because of original sin.
0: How are we speaking about that? Absolutely. Go to the distinction where salvation was won and salvation is being delivered. And so I can say that even before I was baptized when I was 19, before I was brought to faith, my Lord did still die for me. He did still will my salvation. And even if it hasn't played itself out in time and space where he dragged me to the font and drowned me in the waters of baptism, his will is the same. I have no desire in the death of the wicked. And so I can speak about my atheist neighbor who is not yet baptized in the very same way that I can speak about uh, god's will for me not death but life i can say with certainty when it comes to me because i have baptism but even for those who i know and love apart from the faith you can still speak you you can still speak in hope because our lord didn't just die for the elect he died for all our lord didn't just die for some people he died for everyone and so if you want to start with this thing don't start in my heart and don't start in my neighbor's heart start in my lord's cross and there there you can actually start to see what he would will so that when we have this conversation and he says, well, what do you think about me? I can say, I think about you the way I think about me. We are sinners that Jesus has died for. And when you want to go into how do you know, then I can go, Christ is risen. When you want to know how do you know it worked for you, I am baptized. When the sacraments are, are given it's so that certainty would be established, so that when I look at that cross, I wouldn't just say that is a cross. I would say that is my cross. That is Jesus' cross for me, delivered to me. And you know what? It can be for you, given to you too, because baptism can be applied to you. And their their human nature is... is restored. There, their God's image is made clear because we stop looking at ourselves measured in the law, which we fail to live up to, and we start to look at ourselves in light of the gospel, where God would speak creation in the very same way that he made it before we broke it. He speaks creation again to restore it. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God that does that in the water. It's certainly not just water that does these things, but the word of God in and with the water that makes it a baptism after all. Absolutely.
1: No, I it, and and this again brings this comfort of the cross. This this again brings Jesus into the whole uh, conversation here. Uh, and he has to be there. Otherwise, like we said at the beginning, that if we don't have Jesus, if we don't have uh, the the proper understanding of the original sin, uh, all of this is pointless. All all of this is is absolutely Uh, just hogwash. Uh, We might as well not even be spending the time listening about it, studying it, and certainly not arguing about it to our neighbors.
0: Right, because there's enough bad stuff going on here. Where And this is the, the cry today. The church should be more involved in humanitarian work, because look at how much is wrong down here. Look at how much pain and suffering there is. If the cross of Christ didn't actually do anything, we're wasting time by preaching sermons when we could be running soup kitchens. Um, but this is something that the confessions would speak to. Human nature is subject to the devil's kingdom. It is held captive under his sway, so say our confessions. So Christ assumed that too. See, he actually assumed then that which had to live in the devil's kingdom. Christ was cast out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He assumed human captivity. He was nailed to the cross we're not just talking about dark things that we do. We're talking about a dark place. We're talking about an awful world. But the thing is, we're talking about it as if we can find a solution, a victory, a help and the God who joins us in it. Because if there is no Christ who joins us in the devil's kingdom to redeem it, well then the best we should probably do is make the best of the day and try and run a soup kitchen. But if we have something that chases away darkness, namely the light set on the hill, the light that is the cross of Calvary, well then we should be preaching sermons. We should feed the hungry too. We absolutely should. But the thing that actually makes them live forever is the gospel. And so we can talk about dark things and we can talk about dark places. We can say the world doesn't spin the way that it should. But our hope is more than just eking out a few more weeks of existence down here. Our hope is that our God doesn't want it to be this dark either. And so he came into the darkness to bring light to darkness that darkness cannot overcome it. This is the beginning of the Gospel of John. Um, we, we recognize that it still hurts down here. The confessions would also say this healing has only begun in this life. It will not be perfect until the life to come. Of course it's dark down here. Of course we still struggle with sin. Of course that which in us is still warring against sin. And Even though you are baptized and the image of God is restored in you, that corruption is not letting go quite yet. It has to die all the way. And being put into the grave and raised up, in the resurrection, we won't war against sin. In the resurrection, there will be no more darkness. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more despair no more sadness but in this life while the healing has just begun but the thing we ought to lean into in the middle of all of it is the thing that brings that healing namely Jesus given for sinners so that we can talk about original sin as the corruption that it is but recognize that even while we struggle down here feeding the hungry even while we struggle down here dealing with our neighbor in the pain of his sin and and the frustrations that it bears on to us we can look at Jesus, who would find himself right in the middle of all of it. For he came into the darkness, he came into this corruption to fight for us. And when he said it is finished on that cross, he wasn't lying. That's where even though we are still daily at war, that war has already been won. Time, time all sort of folds into the cross right there. So that from the moment Adam and Eve fell until the moment when he returns, all of it is, is assumed into that cross with every bit of pain and suffering and sin. So that all of it can be borne to the grave and, and come back out again pure.
1: Yeah, I don't think I uh, I can say anything else after that. That was that was pretty awesome. Um, no, I think you you, you hit it perfectly, um, and I know that we're we're getting close to the end here uh, of our time too. Um, but I think. I think we need to, uh, and we probably will, maybe, I don't know, maybe Pastor Goodman has a, a complete different understanding or, or thought process of this. But I think maybe we got to uh, hit this one more time uh, to talk about uh, some of these errors, what they really meant that, that uh, the writers of the Formula uh, uh, formula of Concord. Yeah. Let's hit those next week. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll hit those next week. Uh, we'll touch uh, uh, on the, the corrupted nature uh, that we have a little bit more. But then we'll, we might also even be able to, to fold in a little bit into that second article, and this is the understanding of human free will. Because, again, if, if we haven't, if we yeah, haven't set up this, this table correctly with the proper understanding of, uh, of original sin and the corruption of our, of our human flesh, then we're also going to misunderstand uh, free will or, as Luther would say, the bondage of the will. Uh, that's a big deal, too, that I think we're going to have to get into.
0: Absolutely. Stick with us. We are the uncultured saints. Uh, Pastor Lietzow here, and and Pastor Goodman, thank you for your time. Uh, The Lord continue to bless you and keep you in this life and unto life everlasting. Amen. Amen.